So if you were here last week, uh, we talked about we talked about a place at the table for everybody, and that you know that that we had an empty chair last week, but we got it filled this week. And uh, we, we talked about a place at the table for you and a place of belonging. And so many people, especially at this time of the year, feel like there's not a place to belong and there's not a place in their life. And not only do we want to open up a place at our kitchen table, but we want to open up a place at the table of the Lord for them. And we want to invite them in and say, hey, you know what? You have a place of, to belong in the kingdom of God like the Lord has invited us in. So uh, I'm, I really feel like God's just speaking to our hearts as we touch people's lives. We're saying, come to the table. God has prepared for you something really great for your life. And so Michelle's going to be talking to us today, and I'm going to let her uh, pick it up from here. All right. So anybody who has a journal, you're going to want to get it out right now because I have 10 very important things to tell you this morning. This is on a very serious note with all the holidays about to gear up and all the cooking in the kitchen. Um, So I have the 10 commandments of Southern cooking. The number one thing, all right, thou shalt use butter, no margarine allowed. Amen. (laughs) I heard flies don't even land on that stuff, so we don't do anything artificial in the South, right? Okay, number two, thou shalt cook red beans and rice on Mondays, right? You got to get that laundry done. Number three, thou sweet, thou tea shall be sweet. And, I mean, really, do you even have to measure, honestly? Do you have to measure out the sugar? Nah. Um, (laughs) Just keep it going. Number four, thou shalt never trust a skinny cook. (laughs) Amen. Can I get an amen in the house? Number five, thou shalt cook with the Cajun trinity, onion, celery, and bell peppers with it, and we'll include in there a little garlic a little garlic right it's not in the cajun trinity but we'll add it in there thou shalt eat everything on your plate now who's heard that one who grew up with that one yes it kind of goes along with the skinny cook thing um number seven thou shalt cook in cast iron skillets who has a cast iron skillet in their house y'all are awesome all right i'm coming to your house for Thanksgiving. Um, Number eight, thou shalt have dessert at every meal. I mean, really, like, um, it finishes off your meal. Like, it, the meal is not complete without dessert. Number nine, thou shalt cook enough in case someone stops by. There's always more than enough, right? Always more than enough. And number 10, thou shalt say your blessing. These are the best ones I came up with. I know there's so many more, and maybe next year we can have 20 things, you know, that we have 20 commandments for Southern cooking. But I got a question. Does anybody here cook oyster dressing? <laughs> Raise your hand if you cook oyster dressing, because my wife won't cook it, so would you cook me some? I want some oyster dressing. All right. Thou shalt cook oyster dressing for pastor. <laughs> I, number 11. We should have never started with food with pastor at the table, right? <laughs> Okay, so let's just get the elephant out of the room. On Wednesday, I, wa- I woke up, could not talk, like literally silence. And so this is improvement. If you have Marco Polo, you know the macho, like, um, little voice trend that you can put it on. 
Well, you get it permanently this morning, so sorry about the voice. I'm um, hooked up on some cortisone and lime and, I mean, um, lemon and honey and all kinds of good stuff, so this is the best it gets, honestly. So anyway, I apologize in advance. Um, But I really love being from this area. I love the heritage that we have that what the table represents in our in our area and in our culture like everything when we think about it if you're from here everything sir is surrounded around the table and whenever people come to your house what happens like i mean everybody like completely hibernates to the kit i mean goes to the kitchen and stays there like they don't leave the kitchen and so this is like i mean it's such a cultural thing here in louisiana in south louisiana i mean i had an aunt one time well not at one time they did it often she and um my uncle they were living in arizona and they would take trips to new orleans specifically as foodies Like, they would go to Brennan's for one. They would go to Commander's Palace for one meal. They'd stop off at Cafe du Monde. I mean, they literally, they mapped out their entire trip just by food. I mean, because, I mean, really, honestly, like, I mean, there's no better way to do it. Like, that's our culture, and I love our culture. And, um... And I, I think that one of the biggest things is, you know, I love the fact that we have a place at the table where somebody can pull up and um, and belong at the table. We're from the South, you know, we're always like, build a bigger table, like that whole thing. Like, you know, we don't, we don't put a fence up, we build a bigger table. And so, um, because you have a seat at the table and God always has a seat at the table for each and every one of us. And, um, and he paid a big price for that. He paid a big, huge price for that. Um, but one of the things that we're talking about today, and um, a, as part of this sermon series, is a place of thanksgiving at the table. And one of the first things that we do when we sit down at the table together and we hold hands and we give thanks to God. And um, and because it's part of his kingdom. And I really feel like the breakthrough anointing that pastor's feeling in the room is something as simple as thanksgiving. I honestly think that if we can grasp this message this morning, that honestly, he wants to do something with a people. And it starts with thanksgiving. And I want to show you how important this morning thanksgiving is to God. That it's not just something that we sit down and we say grace and we just give this little thank you, God, and thank you for the cook. No, like it's a heart of thanksgiving. It's a heart placement. And so the first thing that I want to talk today about is the law of keep your fork. The law of keep your fork if you're taking notes. Because we know that when somebody says keep your fork, what does it mean? The best is yet to come, right? It means dessert is on the way. And so often God says, keep your fork. If we give thanks, we get to keep our fork. And there's some message, there's some scriptures here um, that it talks about that I want to, that I want to address, but it talks about that, um, that what he puts in our hands, he then multiplies, When he puts it in our hands, as long as we give thanks, then he can multiply it. But if we don't give thanks, we've stopped there at just what's in your hand. 
So, Ryan, if you could pull up Matthew 15, 36, and it's something that we talk about often in this house. We love this scripture of um, the loaves and the fishes. And if you know, this is in all four Gospels. It's really cool that this one particular miracle is in all four Gospels. And the only other thing that's in all four Gospels is the resurrection. So I think it was pretty important to the disciples that it was in there. And so it says, Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd. Is that the, yeah. Have compassion on the crowd because they have seen me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? What's in your hands? How many loaves do you have? They said seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And after sending away the crowd, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. So here we see that all that he did, he had what was in his hand. And Jesus gave thanks before he did anything. And then it was multiplied. And here's the cool thing. When we're thankful, we might even get to go home with a doggy bag. Seven baskets overflowing. Come on. I like that kind of doggy bag, right? Okay, we go to John eleven forty one. Lazarus. He exchanges death for life. Then Jesus, sorry, Ryan, I'm probably ahead of you. Um, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, and he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you, believe, that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on an account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands, feet with linen strips and his face, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So what did he do? He gave thanks. And in thanks, God exchanged death for life. He always multiplies when thanks is giving. It's, the, it's part of the kingdom of God. It's a major key to the kingdom of God. And if we don't get this right, I really feel like this morning, if we don't get this right, he is looking for a people who will give thanks and awe and honor to him. And if we do this one thing, it's so simple, but if we do this one thing, he multiplies so much in our, in our path. Nothing tells it better than the lepers. 
the ten lepers that came in Luke 17. One of them was a foreigner from Samaria. When he discovered that he was completely healed, turned back to Jesus, shouting out joyous praises and glorifying him, saying to him, you are the Messiah. This man was a Samaritan. So where are the other nine? Jesus asked. So there was ten. And he, Jesus healed him, all ten. But one came back. Do you see the ratio here? Do you see that the ratio is a 10% ratio that actually comes back and gives thanks to God? It's not that much. But what does it then say? He goes on to say, Then Jesus said to the healed man lying at his feet, Arise and go. It was your faith that brought you salvation and healing. King James Version, it says then he was made whole. Salvation, there's wholeness. So not only was the man, he was not only healed, but he came back. And so often in scripture we see this, like people were drawn to the miracles. But who had the staying power? The ones who come back and say thanks. And he's looking for a people, and you are that people. And I know that we do this as a season of thanksgiving. But he's looking for a people who will establish this truth for the whole 365. There's always increase in thanksgiving. And it's interesting because as part of the prayer team, and if you're part and have been through the training, you know one of the things that we do is when someone comes up for healing, and they only have a 10% increase. They only have, say they, their leg hurts, and yet it feels 10% better. We're giving thanks for that 10%. And the reason why is because we know it's an established principle of the kingdom. That if we give thanks for the 10%, that we're going to get so much more. And I, don't, I can't think of one time when it hasn't posed true. There is always more. There's always more when we give thanks. There's always increase. I almost call this one the, um, the law of lick the beaters. <laughs> because even before the miracle is, is even baked in the oven, and the expectation is there. And but just through the expectation and giving thanks, we see more. Because the miracle was already bought and paid for. It was already bought and paid for. Okay, so the first one is the law of keep your fork. The second one is the law of stressed spelled backwards is desserts. Stressed spelled backwards is desserts. We know a little bit about that. The second thing about thankfulness is it changes the way that we look and see everything. And what looks like and what we look what we look at is then magnified. You know, there's always a war for your eyes. There's always a war for your eyes. And so what you look at and what you focus on and what you see and the thoughts that you think, those are the things that are going to be magnified in your life. But sometimes I think that we need to get dyslexia and read from the back of the book to the front of the book. 
We instead of instead of bringing uh, stress to the table, we need to bring desserts to the table. Instead of looking at the situation right now, we need to look in Revelations and say, "Guess what? He paid it all, and he won." There's victory. It didn't look too good at the beginning. You look at the beginning of the New Testament, it didn't look too good. They were being chased down. Didn't look good. Didn't even look too good when Jesus was being beaten. Looked like the devil had won. (laughs) But when we get a little dyslexia and we can read from the back to the front, we we can understand that, uh, that there was a big, huge price that was paid. And that we already got the victory. So I was reading a book recently. It was an unbelievable book. It's called um, Switch on Your Brain by Caroline, Dr. Caroline Leaf. Has anybody read that? So good. So good. And, um, and, it, and it's really talking about the things that we think on. And that we actually have power. And that what our... And it's interesting because it says, do you know that your brain was designed to respond to what you think about, not the other way around? Your brain is not going to be the thing that is, that is the main thing in your life. It's what you think on is the main thing and whether you allow that thing to stay there or not stay there. Just like Peyton was saying earlier. You were created to be powerful. I want you to say that. I am powerful. You were created to be powerful, and you have the power within you to allow something to stay or not stay. And I am so tired of people saying that they are, like, just this powerless talk of, like, I the, just coming in and, and, and it's this complaining and not seeing the whole truth well get aligned with the truth what does God say about you that is what truth is and you have the power to let it stay or let it go and it's so cool this book though it was um it says that um you are free to make choices about how you focus your attention And this affects how chemicals, proteins, and the wiring of your brain change and function. So what you put in there and what you think about actually changes the DNA. It changes your proteins. It rewires your complete being, your complete mind. It's powerful. And it's not the other way around. You are not predisposed to stuff. But you have the power to change what you are predisposed to. And this book talks about it. It was really the science behind the scripture in Philippians 4, 6 through 9. If Ryan, if you can put that on the screen. This is, don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day. Offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real. 
honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind, and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. Follow the example of all that we have imparted to you, and the God of peace will be with you in all things. Come on, that's a good word. These are the things that we think of, that we think on. And these are the things that can, that can redefine how your brain actually operates. We need a perspective change. And when we're thankful, we get a perspective change, right? I love Bill Johnson. He says, I can't afford to think one thought about me that the Lord isn't thinking. I can't afford it. There's a, there's a di- hurt and dying world around us. We can't afford to think one thought that God's not thinking about us. Right. It's taking up some very expensive real estate. <laughs> so be encouraged. If you found yourself complaining, and you, and you go to complaining more than Thanksgiving, this is it. This is the key that Thanksgiving gets us out of this. Thanksgiving gets us out of this mindset. And I'm saying this to say that you're powerful. If you begin to give thanksgiving and you make choices to give thanks instead of complaining, that you're powerful and your brain will actually come into alignment with what you're telling it to come into alignment with. It's a muscle memory. Thankfulness is a muscle memory, and it's disciplined responses to circumstances. It's a choice, and it's a command. It's impossible to complain when we see him, because when you see him, you know, even in disappointment, that if it's not good, it's not over. Even in disappointment, we can say that. So do we give a good, do we say thanks for for the, the bad doctor report? Absolutely not. But we give thanks because we know that he is bigger and he paid the price. That's what we give thanks for. We don't give glory to the devil ever. He's not worth it. He's not worth it. So the first one, the law of keep your fork. The second one, the law of stress spelled backwards is desserts. Now number three, the law of kiss the cook. Kiss the cook. A response is needed. Amen. Amen. So <laughs> a response is needed. Um, so I had um, a situation where, like, I, 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 I this situation's been rectified, so I don't want to, like, call anybody out. Um, so I helped somebody move. I helped somebody, like, extravagantly move. Like, I jumped through hoops to help them move. And, um, and when I was finally being dropped off after a move, after the move um, happened, um, it wasn't, it, there, was, there wasn't any appreciation. There was zero appreciation. And, um, and it's funny because at that almost same time, Pastor called. And I'm, like, in tears. Like, it really, like, hurt bad. It, like, it was really one of those moments where it was, like, I rolled out the red carpet for you. 
and you didn't say things like it it was it was pretty emotional um to say the least and as i sat there um i really like it was one of those things that the lord just began to speak through me i mean to me and um he's like how often have i rolled out the red carpet for you and you have not come back and told me thanks And, this, and if I can say, I don't even think Pastor knows this, this whole sermon series came out of that place at that time. Because at that moment, he started speaking to me about at the table and the things that happen at the table. See, because heaven expects a response from us. And one reason that we sit before our plate and give thanks before we eat is to remember the sacrifice made by God and to the cook. But we rush through the prayer of blessing the food about as quickly as we rush through the thanks that's needed to enter into his courts. This is coming to my courts. It's the first thing that we're supposed to do when we come into the presence of God is come into my courts with thanksgiving. But we rush through thanksgiving about as quick as we do the prayer at dinner. Unless you're my kids and, you know, like, we pray for water in Africa and we pray for, (laughs) unless you're them, like, we go through the whole list. But most of the time, Jesus, thank us for it. We thank you for this food, amen. But he haven't expects so much bigger of a response than that. He made the whole world. He spoke it into existence. He sent his son to die for us so that we can have life and life more abundantly. He just wants some thanks for the life more abundantly. But see, here's the problem about the cook and about Jesus is that we get a little too familiar. We start expecting things. I think we get so often we become familiar to those around us that bless us. That if they were gone, I think about that, like if they were gone, how devastated would I be? But I haven't given them thanks lately. And instead, I started expecting it. You know, like when we we grow up, and, and I think about this with my kids, like I bring them to church, I bring them to Monday night prayer, they use the flags and they color on the ground, and you know, like, and they get, they go to Christian school. Do we just get so familiar with the presence of God that we forget to come back and give thanks. Are we the 90% or are we the 10%? Mark 6, verse 1. After Jesus left Capernaum and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown, on the Sabbath he went to teach in the synagogue Everyone who heard his teaching was overwhelmed with astonishment. They said, 
among themselves what incredible wisdom has been given to him. So they know, like, wow. Where did he receive such profound insights? <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> and what mighty miracles flow through his hands. Isn't this Mary's son? The carpenter, the brother of Jacob, Joseph, Judah, and Simon. And don't his sisters all live here in Nazareth? And they... And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is treated with honor everywhere except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house. He was unable to do any great miracles in Nazareth except to heal a few sick people. By laying his hands upon them, he was amazed at the depth of their unbelief. Then Jesus went out into the different villages and taught the people. We come, become too familiar with the presence of God. We come too familiar with the cook. We come too familiar with our neighbor. And we don't realize so often that it's your very neighbor that has your miracle in their hand but we just can't even see it because it's too familiar. Romans 1, 20 through 21, God expects a response from us. And, it's, and, it, and it, this is the hinge right here. It says, for since the creation of the world, nope, wrong, wrong. We didn't have NASB, so we're doing ESV. Um, for his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power to the things that he can do, and his divine nature, who he is, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they knew him, they knew his power, and they knew his divine nature. For although they knew him, they did not honor him as God and give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The 10% got saved. The 90 only got healed. He requires a response from us. And the list goes on and on of what happens when we don't respond the way heaven has asked us to respond. They became idolatrous. They became wrapped up in sexual immorality. I, there's one version that says, like, like, you'll invent new ways to sin. <laughs> like, I don't even know what those things are, but you'll invent new ways to do it. I think we're there. <laughs> I think we're there. And um, it's all because they didn't honor and thank God, you get to choose. You get to choose. Number four. So we have keep your fork, stress spell backwards as dessert, kiss the cook. Number four, our last one, eat what's in front of you. The law of eat what's in front of you. Stop looking at everyone else's plate. 
and desiring to eat with their eating. Instead, look at the one God has in front of you. This breeds discontent. This breeds discontentment. When we are always looking around at what everybody else is doing and what's their lane and what, are, what kind of gift are they operating in and why don't I have what they have? Discontentment, which leads to an entitlement mentality. But let me ask you these questions. How much money is enough? How much sex is enough? How many horsepower is enough? How much alcohol is enough? How much food is enough? How many square feet is enough? If you have an entitlement mentality, you will never, repeat after me, you will never have an attitude of gratitude. The stuff isn't the problem. The soul is the problem. Worship team, you can come. You see, coveting is sinning. And it's caused by discontentment. The way we war against this evil is thankfulness. Every time we're not thankful, there's one thing that you write down. I want you to write this down. Every time that we're not thankful, we're telling God that we don't appreciate what he has provided and he should have done better. I'm going to repeat it. Every time we are not thankful, we're telling God that we don't appreciate what he has provided, that he should have done better. We partner with complaining. And for those that complained, it really didn't go well for them. <laughs> 40 years in the wilderness didn't go well for them. But I want, I, I hope that this message, though, that not only that you see the power of thankfulness in what it can do and the things that it can open up in your life and, and the kingdom of God to, is giving you a key this morning. God's giving you a key this morning. And the things that thankfulness can open up for you. But for those that... And I was convicted. I mean, I'm not saying that I sat here through this sermon and I'm, I'm studying and I wasn't convicted in areas. But I hope that you see that you are powerful and that you have a choice to make. That you don't have to partner with complaining. You don't have to partner with entitlement. But you have a choice this morning to say, I'm going to partner with thankfulness and I'm going to begin a journey. See, a year ago at this time, some of you know, some of you don't know. My kids don't know this um, because we didn't want to share the loss with them because of just how it all worked out. Um, but Tim and I went through a miscarriage. And in that, it was, like, really pretty, like, devastating. It was definitely um, one of those places that, the Lord just, wow, it was, it, I, didn't expect, I didn't expect to respond the way that I responded. And it was, it was um, right before our month of Thanksgiving. And so 
I decided on the 1st of November that I was going to start giving thanks because I knew something needed to get me out of the bad place that my head was in. And so I began giving thanks. I gave thanks for my husband. I gave thanks for my parents. I gave thanks for an incredible pastor in this incredible church. I gave thanks for a prayer room that was just, that's unbelievable presence of God. And God has given me so many dreams and so many visions in that place. And I gave thanks, I, I sound to the little things like, thank you, God, for this big, huge vehicle that I can, I can, you know, run around all the kids in. And I started giving thanks. And through that, like God just started ministering to my heart. And I started to focus on the things that he wanted to focus on instead of the loss. Not saying that the loss was okay. That's not okay. But in the meantime, I can offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving to him in the midst of loss. And it changed my perspective of how I see thanksgiving. First Thessalonians says, let joy be your continual feast. Make your life a prayer. And in the midst of everything, be always giving thanks. For this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know what the will of God is? This is the will of God. God, I want to know your will. This is the will of God. Give thanks in all circumstances. The antidote for this hour and this time is thanksgiving. And it's not a season. It's a lifestyle. But I feel like there just needs to be a response in the room this morning. Like maybe some of us, like when I'm preparing this message, like I am sorry I've partnered with complaining. I am sorry that I've come into agreement with complaining. And I've gotten caught up in entitlement and I ask your forgiveness. Maybe that needs to be your response. Or maybe that you've been going through a battle too. Maybe you've been going through a serious battle. And you need to partner with, God, I thank you, because if it's not good, it's not over. Maybe that's what you need to partner with this morning. But I just feel like there needs to be a response in the room. Let's just all stand.